The Wednesday night service, we're just going to open up with a word of prayer. And thank you guys all for coming out. It's kind of cold, but it's warm in here, right? Let's just open up with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for tonight, God. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I come against every demonic spirit and every lie and everything that would exalt itself against the word of God. I command it to leave this place in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, open our hearts and our minds, Father. Give us ears to hear the word you have for us, God, as we come before you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, so it is Wednesday night, and we are continuing in the book of Acts. If you were uh, missed last week, Pastor Kevin preached last week and so you can go back and listening listen to that we are going to be in acts chapter 9 and we're continuing with paul in ephesus here starting in verse 8 it says and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of god But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus. Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That sounds interesting. And this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their sins and deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic books, magic, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Tonight's sermon is called Magnify the Lord. What's going on here? Paul's ministry in Ephesus was similar to that in his ministry in Corinth. Okay, Paul entered the synagogue where he was already known and he spoke boldly for about three months of the kingdom of God. But as in Corinth, so in Ephesus, that the Jewish people rejected the good news Some became obstinate, refusing to believe the way. As a direct result of the stubborn opposition of the synagogue, Paul left them. And so he took it upon himself. He took his disciples with him. And they went to the lecture hall, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, uh, this guy Tyrannus, not much is known about him. He was either some kind of lecturer or philosopher. And he rented his hall out to Paul for two years. And Paul stayed there for two years. 
And during this time, God did unique miracles. Now, these were extraordinary miracles. These were, these were special. These were not typical even for a miracle. A miracle in itself is not typical, but these were not typical miracles that God did through Paul. And Paul was a tent maker, and so he would use his sweatbands and his, his, um, uh, the, he, the, uh, cloth that he would tie around him as an apron, and he would pray over them, and he would send them out, and it would heal people, and, uh, demons would leave because of these things from Paul. And so a group of these Jewish exorcists thought it well to use Jesus's name to cast out demons. And the result was disastrous. And so fear fell on all at the power of the Holy Spirit and deliverance came from these occult practices of the region and the word of God grew. That was what happening. So what does it mean to you? Well, the first one is, is when you magnify the Lord, there will always be scoffers. There's going to always be scoffers, right? In verse 9, and, and he tells us, but some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. It means they scoffed. They were scoffers. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples. They were scoffing at him. And the scoffer is one who speaks to someone or something about something in a scornfully derisive or mocking way. Can be a believer or a non-believer. These happen to be Jewish men, but a scoffer is derisive and they express contempt. Second yeah. yeah. Peter 3, 3 and 4 says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Yeah. Walking according to their own lust. So we see a scoffer walks according to their own ways. And says, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Jude 17 through 19 says, but you beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there would be mockers, scoffers in the last day, in the last time who walk according to their own ungodly love means they do what they want. They walk according to their own ways and own desires. These are sensual persons. They cause division. Not having the spirit. Scoffers. And Paul had no time for scoffers. He had no time for it. He had dealt time and time again with rebellious and hard-hearted people. He didn't have time to argue with people. He didn't have time to mess around with a scoffer. He had a job to do. He said, you don't want my message? I'll take it to somebody else. You don't have to stay. Fine. He moved on. What does this mean to us? Well, it means you can't change anyone. You got to stop thinking that you can save people. You can't save anyone. Only Jesus saves and only he delivers. He's the only one that can do it. You know, we get in this mindset of like, oh, if I just loved them enough, you know, they're just so broken. If I could do this, if I, I, notice, notice the key word in that. I. Self-righteousness. If I could do that, if I could heal them, if I could do this, you can't change anyone. You're not the savior. And you have to stop getting into needless arguments that are futile. Sometimes you just have to move on. 
People reject the message of the cross. They mess, they, they will reject you. They will reject Christ. They will reject the spirit that's in you. But listen, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the spirit that's inside you. Move on. I don't have time to argue with you about God's word. I don't have time for it. I'm getting older. (laughs) I got two more years till I'm 50. That's like half a century. (laughs) I ain't got time to argue. I got my time is short. I ain't got time to argue with people anymore. If you don't want what I have to say, I'm moving on. I have a job to do. And and, and you have a job to do. These are all from Proverbs. A scoffer does not hear rebuke. He doesn't like to be reproved. Move on. A scoffer follows their own desires and their own interests. Move on. A scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Move on. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets to himself abuse. Who needs abuse? Move on. A scoffer seeks his own way and he is divisive. Move on. Proverbs 22.10, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. That's a good word. Get thee behind me, scoffer. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. There's a meme that floats around and it says, pay attention to those who clap for you. Y'all seen that? You know, pay attention to those who are clapping for you, right? I'm like, I I know who claps for me and who doesn't. I don't care. Don't pay attention to those that clap for you or don't clap for you. Don't pay attention to the scoffers. I don't care if you clap for me. I don't live for you. I live for Jesus. I live for my Savior. I answer to Christ. I answer to an audience of one. Don't pay attention to people that don't clap for you. Who cares? It's a scoffer. Move on. You got a job to do. Don't get wrapped up in that stuff. What is the second thing? When you magnify the Lord, there's power, saving and healing power in the name of Jesus. But its effectiveness is not mechanical, nor can people use it secondhand. We see that, right? Verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know and Paul, I know, but who are you? Well, the devils certainly know who Jesus is. They knew who Paul was. They're like, we don't like that guy. But you, we don't know anything about you. Who are you? See, the name of Jesus is not mechanical. It's not an automatic mechanism that is to be lightly used. It's not a magical charm that you use in order to get what you want. And a lot of people misuse the scripture, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And people use that as a magic charm of I use the name of Jesus, I'm going to get whatever I want. That you got to read everything, folks. Read everything before it and everything after it. 
What this means is as a representative, as, as his representatives on earth, as a person doing his work, living in his spirit, seeking the Father's will, as Jesus sought the Father's will, in right, the prayer of Gethsemane, right? Not my will, but thine be done. This should teach us what that scripture means. And we commonly attach the name of Jesus, not always in bearing in mind that it implies self-sacrifice. It implies self-sacrifice and is a prayer that our very prayers may not be answered except in accordance with his divine will. Anything we pray for, anything we pray about, should be for the glory of God, not for myself. It's for him. Jesus' name is not common. It's not common, it's holy. It's true. And there's power in his name. And it's available to those who obey him. You can't take Jesus' name in vain. Right? And that means when people say, you know, we use that, they say, oh, to take it in vain means to use it as a curse word. That's not what it means. It means to use his name in a manner and means that's not consistent with his nature and his character. That's what it means. You must know Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus must know you. He must know you. You can say, I know Jesus. Listen, I know Sylvester Stallone, but he don't know me. (laughs) I know him. I know Rambo. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. These are, these are some of those, these, uh, scriptures that you, you really got to look at and you really got to think about. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You who practice lawlessness and the key scripture here is found in that last phrase you who practice lawlessness means you can't continue to work in iniquity live in your sin live in rebellion live in disobedience and think that you can operate under the power of his name we can't do that this is taking his name in vain In 1 Samuel chapter 4, we're not going to go there, but the children of Israel believed that they could continue to rebel against God and his word and his commandments and that they would just bring the ark, significant of bringing God's presence to the battle, and they would beat the Philistines. But God's like, no, I ain't there. I ain't with you. You guys are disres- you guys are disobedient and you guys are rebellious. It don't matter if you brought the ark in with you. They were destroyed and the ark was lost. The ark was stolen. They, they thought they were okay. If you try to operate using, using Jesus' name against a demon and you are not submitted to Jesus, you will be destroyed. You can't just use his name, folks. It doesn't work that way. Submit to God, 
then resist the devil. You can't resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. Right? And, and don't think that it's just these big sins. We talk about, you know, adultery and sexual morality and theft and murder. I'm talking about pride. Pride and self-righteousness. And you think you're going to defeat the devil when you're operating in pride and self-righteousness. You can't resist the devil. You're not really submitted to God. If you're harboring any kind of unforgiveness or offense, you cannot resist the devil. Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. And for the life of me, I don't understand unforgiveness. And, and, and a lot of people know my past and know what I did. And I am ashamed of my past. I'm ashamed of the things that I've done. And there's no way I'm going to hold anything against anybody for any reason ever. Because Christ forgave me so much when I did not deserve it. I did not deserve it. And you can think you're a good little person. You don't deserve it. None of us did. Said while we were in our sins, Christ died for us. And if you receive that forgiveness, you better extend it. If you receive mercy, you better extend it. If you received his love, you better extend it. Thank you, brother. Who said that? Where there is bitterness or selfish ambition and rivalry, you cannot defeat the devil. You know, all these things we think, well, I'm not living in this big sin, but you got all this nasty stuff going on the inside and you think you're going to come against the enemy? No way! James 3.16, for wherever there is jealousy, envy and contention, rivalry, selfish ambition, there will also be confusion, unrest, disharmony and rebellion, and all sorts of evil and vile practices. Can't happen. You cannot defeat the enemy in your life if you have these things on the inside. You will be destroyed. It's only obedience that activates the power of the spirit to overcome the enemy. Listen up, people. Demons are stronger than you are in the natural. So if you don't get rid of these things, you operate in the natural, the enemy's going to run all over you. He will run all over you and he will destroy you until you are dead. And you know, and when you're down, the devil will kick you in the head. He doesn't care if you're bleeding. He's in a street fight. There's no rules. You better be sure you know the Lord and you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit if you're going to take on the devil. You better be sure you're living in, in the way and means in which he wants you to live. That you are forgiven and that you are forgiving. That you walk in love. You walk in self-control. You better be sure that you're in these things if you're going to come against the enemy in your life. Because he is out to destroy your life and he will expose every single crack. He will. 
But if you are living in obedience to God's word and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have authority over the enemy. Then you can take authority over the enemy. Luke ten seventeen. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. <laughs> Folks, we, we, we better start taking this thing seriously. Because the enemy is ruthless. He is out to destroy your life. He's not playing around. He's not playing around at all. There's a real enemy. You have a real enemy that is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy your life. You better start taking God's word seriously. You better start taking the devil seriously. And you cannot overcome him unless that Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you in obedience. And you rely on that authority that God's given you to come against it in the name of Jesus. And there's a real spiritual battle taking place for our souls. The enemy is cunning and he is deceitful. And we are to bring down his kingdom and set the prisoners free. You you cannot set someone else free if you're entangled again. You ain't set anybody else free. Matthew eleven twelve and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That means these violent, the violent men are those who have made up their mind and do not care what force and power they employ to attain their object. Someone says, I, I don't care what it takes. I am taking it down. I don't care. I'm getting to heaven and I don't, I, I don't care what comes against me. I don't care what I have to do. I'm getting there. Yes. And they take it by force. They grab it for themselves. This describes the energy with which some souls are pressing and urging. Pressing and urging for salvation to be attained. I'm not letting go, God, until I get there. I'm not stopping until I get there. Devil, you better get out of my way because I'm getting there. And you won't stop me and you won't come against me. Folks, life and death are at stake. Life and death. We have a common enemy who seeks to divide and conquer. He is seeking your soul. He is seeking to divide and conquer you. Third point, when you magnify the Lord, it has a wholesome effect. Verses 16 and 17, it says, Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowering them, prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on all them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. In spite of the misuse of Jesus' name, the incident had an effect because God will not be mocked. God's going to have his way. And when you magnify the name of Jesus, it produces holy results. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is holy. He's called the Holy Spirit. It's his first name. (laughs) 
preaching of the word produces holiness. And the Holy Spirit is a cleansing and purifying agent. And the Holy Spirit will magnify the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit and Jesus' name are an apposition, not opposition. Go look up what apposition means. If the gospel is preached and the spirit you said you received does not produce righteousness, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel produces a wholesome effect. It produces righteousness in someone's life. Wherever Jesus' name is magnified, it will destroy sin and its effects. It does. 1 John 3, 4 through 9, it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Remember he said, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So it says, like, when we preach the gospel, it should remove sin from the place. Whoever abides in him does not sin means does not continue to sin as a way of life. Whoever continues to sin as a way of life has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So let me stop there for a minute. It means that he who lives a life of righteousness, it's because of the Holy Spirit in us that's helping us to live righteous. Not of our own doing. You can't live righteous on your own. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that we can live righteous. He who sins is of the devil. So now he says, if you continue to live a life of sin, you are still an unregenerated child of the devil. I didn't say it. He did. Don't take offense at this. He wrote it. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not continue to practice sin. That's what he means. Why? Because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. You cannot continue to practice and live in sin because you've been born again of God. And this is what happens, that that fear of the Lord is clean. It produced righteousness in these Ephesians' lives. When the word came forth, when the Holy Spirit went forth, it produced righteousness in people's lives. The fear of the Lord is clean. It produced this righteousness. So after the preaching of the word, there was true healing and exercising demonic strongholds. They received deliverance from oppressive practices. Right? So we see that, 18 and 19, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. So they repented and came and confessed. And it says, and also those who practiced magic brought their books together and they burned them. It produced a wholesome effect. It produced a wholesome cleansing effect in the lives of these Ephesians. And these people threw away everything that offended God. Their allegiance, allegiance, changed from worthless idols and things that cannot satisfy to an obedience to wholly serving the Lord. 
And when you came in contact with the living God, did you throw away things that offended him? Because I'm always, you know, there's a lot of gospels being preached out there, folks. There's a lot of gospels being preached. Um, You know, just recently, uh, in the last few years, there's been a few um, famous people, right, that have said that they've gotten saved and come to the Lord, you know. And so uh, one was, uh, this is like two or three years ago, whatever, and I listened to his testimony. I didn't hear anything about sin. I didn't hear anything about repentance. I I didn't hear any of that. I just heard, you know, I I just fell in with God's love and I just felt so much love. And uh, somebody that I know saw him at a church in California and he was dancing around. And to them, that was a sign that he was saved. He was dancing around. Well, the children of Israel danced before a golden idol and they called it Yahweh. And they danced in a frenzy. That's not really a sign to me that someone's been saved. And perhaps you've heard of Kanye West lately. And I'm waiting to see. But I read his testimony and he said, My sin was a heavy burden on me. And I could not do it on my own. And I thought, man, I think maybe that guy heard the gospel. (laughs) I'm still waiting to see. But do you see the difference? The gospel produces a wholesome effect in people's lives. It will produce a wholesome effect. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Because that godly fear produces a cleansing fire in the lives of the people who will be taught by him. And the last point is magnifying the Lord will magnify his word. In verse 20 it says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The word grew mightily and prevailed. When Jesus is magnified and the gospel is proclaimed, the word will grow and prevail. Will go forth. Psalm 138.2 says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. You can't separate Jesus from his word. You can't separate Jesus from the word or from the Holy Spirit. These three agree in one. They're all in agreement. That's why when people say, God told me, I'm always like, ding, 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 ding. You know, these buzzers go up. Because people say, God told me, but it's in direct contradiction to the word, and it's in rebellion to the Holy Spirit. It's in rebellion to the authority of God, and I'm like, ding, 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 ding. That's not of God. These people are being deceived and used as a tool of the enemy. We believe that original lie. Did God really say... That's the original lie. It's been around for centuries. Did God really say? And the Holy Spirit 
will, will tell us the truth and we can read it in God's word and we'll hear it in preaching and we'll hear it from other prophets and men of God and we'll say, that is a word from God. But don't believe that little voice if it doesn't line up with God's word. If it doesn't line up with the spirit. The spirit is called the spirit of truth. And we twist and we manipulate God's word to make it say what we want it to say. Letting it just say what it says and believing what God says about it. That too is using God's name in vain. Hebrews 4.12, for the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making an active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of the joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. I use the Amplified because I love that. Because that's what the word of God's meant to do. It's supposed to expose and sift and analyze and judge every thought, every intent, every purpose, every motive. Because the word's meant to be transformational, not informational. I tell people all the time, people will read it. My Bible study ladies know this. They'll read it. And I'm like, that's for you. Stop saying, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here. That's for them. No, it's for you. Let it, let it get in you. Let it expose you. Let it sift you. Let it analyze you. Let it judge you. That's how you change. And this is why God uses the ministry of the church and the fivefold ministry. We have a fivefold ministry, the pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle, and prophet, that these work together to instruct the saints in the word and equip us for ministry. That's, a, that's God's gift. Don't sit there and say, I can do it on my own. No, you cannot. That's not how God ordained it. And the Bible says you will know a tree by its fruit. You know, and if you were here on Sunday, I talked about, you know, the church, right? And and I look at our church, you know, and listen, if our church is not producing fruit of righteousness in people's lives, and if there's no conversion from darkness to light, and if we're not preaching the word and people are still oppressed by the devil, then you should just leave. But... If we're preaching the gospel in this place, and the Holy Spirit is tearing down Satan's strongholds in people's lives, how many people here tonight can say, this church saved my marriage, saved me, helped me, helped me with the job. Look at all those hands, right? God is here in this place. People have moved from darkness to light. People have been delivered from oppression. The word of God has been preached here and the word of God is growing. If these things are true, then you should submit yourself to the, to this pastor and to this church in the name of Jesus. The Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Preach the gospel. Magnify the name of Jesus. 
tear down Satan's strongholds and the word of God will grow. Amen? Amen. Angie, you playing tonight? Sorry. (laughs) So I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message tonight. We just want to, we want to pray with you and ask you, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never said, man, I cannot do this on my own, I need a Savior. And guess what? All have sinned and fallen short. You are no different than any one of us. Every one of us here that know him, we have made that trek to the altar at one time in our life. Sometimes, some of us several times. If you need, if you need your sins forgiven, if you need to be washed whiter than snow, if you need to be made a new creation in Jesus Christ, he is here tonight. The Holy Spirit is here. The Word of God is here. And the name of Jesus is magnified here. If you need to know Him, uh, will you just raise your hand? We want to pray with you. If you would make the trek to the altar, someone will pray with you. Everybody's good. And the second thing I'm going to ask is, if you've been far away from God... Now, as my husband says, no, I don't mean a weekend. I'm talking about you've been far. You found yourself wandering, doing things on your own strength. Don't do it on your own strength, brother or sister. If you need to run back to Jesus, he's waiting. His arms are open. He's waiting to deliver you. He's waiting to heal you. He's waiting to help you. He's waiting to love you. He's waiting to bring you back into the Father's arms. If that's you tonight, will you just raise your hand? We just want to pray with you. There's no embarrassment, folks. We just want to pray with you. And if everybody's good on that, I just want you to take a minute. Think about this word tonight. Where's the enemy running all over you? Where's there a crack that the enemy just keeps exposing? If you need to repent of anything, just repent tonight. God is here. And the Holy Spirit's here to say, Lord, forgive me. And it says that if we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just let this word take root. And Father God, we just give you praises and glory and honor, Lord. Come and heal tonight. Come and do your work. Come and speak to us and empower us, God, for the work of the ministry, God. Empower us to go forth, to not look to the right hand or to the left, to not listen to scoffers, to go forth magnifying your name in the power of your word and in your Holy Spirit and take down Satan's kingdom for your glory, Lord. Empower us to do that, Father, in Jesus' mighty name.